Welcome back to Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. As the coronavirus pandemic rages on, a growing number of companies in the outdoor industry are pivoting away from their normal operations and product offerings to provide healthcare workers with critical gear. So we talked to physician assistant and blister reviewer Sasha Anastas about the scope of the problem, and we then talked to Kitspo, Industry 9, and Shaggy's Copper Country Skis about how each of these companies is helping the cause. While there is a whole lot of very dark news out there these days, this is an inspiring conversation about a number of people and companies that are doing important work. And we are also happy to report that there are a lot of other companies that have already taken up similar efforts or that are currently investigating how they might best be able to contribute. And so, to all the companies out there that are able to provide assistance, thank you. So now, let's first talk to my dear friend and physician assistant and blister reviewer, Sasha Anastas, about the scope of the problem. Well, Sasha, thanks for taking a minute to go over some of the latest. And, you know, given that you are a physician's assistant working in sort of the greater Denver area and the front range area of Colorado. Honestly, I just wanted to kind of get your take on sort of the scope of the problem and basically just have you fill us in from the point of view of somebody who is working in the healthcare industry and at a hospital. Size up the situation and tell us kind of some of the details that the rest of us ought to know. Well, thanks, Jonathan, for checking in. Um, yeah, it's the it's massive. It's really big. Um, what is happening on the coasts of the country right now? It's anticipated that it's the surge is coming towards us. We use a surge to kind of describe the influx of sick patients that um, our, our ERs are going to have. So we're all sitting on the edge of our seats in our ERs, pretty low volumes. A few of the patients come in with respiratory complaints concerning for COVID. Some get hospitalized and tested. In Colorado, the testing is only limited for the hospitalized patients because the testing is so limited. So, um, so yeah, it's it's. It's really it's a hard place to be, um, especially from the provider standpoint. Um, it's kind of knowing that the tsunami is coming and and not knowing how how well to prepare for it, and and knowing it's just going to come in and hit us all at once. Um, so yeah, the, the it, it's massive, and um, I think what we all tend to do is kind of run to the things we can control in something as uncontrollable as this. So for a lot of us, we're running to try to sequester our personal protective equipment, which as most all people know is incredibly limited at this point in time. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, this was one of those things where I was like, okay, to what extent are newspapers and the media being kind of dramatic or hyperbolic about this need? And this is honestly one of the reasons why I wanted to just ask you, you know, what is the extent of the need here? And I mean, I, I am sure that 
there could be some variation or differentiation here from a given hospital in a given part of the country as opposed to somewhere else. But again, just talking about what you're seeing when you're going to work, again, in like the front range of Colorado, talk to me about what is the extent of the problem or the shortage of personal protective equipment. And then I'm going to ask exactly what kind of equipment are, you know, would be the most helpful right now. Yeah. So unfortunately, what you're reading in the media um, is is quite accurate. What what we have been educated initially that we would need um, to protect ourselves from the patients um, initially were N95 masks, um, face shields, gowns, and gloves. And part of the problem is that a lot of this has been used globally since December um, in China, where a lot of this is being made. And so the manufacturing has slowed down. Um, and of course, the U.S. timed its epidemic poorly with what can be manufactured out of China. So it's it's really low. So what does that look like for me on the front lines personally? So again, I'm in Colorado. Um, our surge is expected to hit soon. We have not hit it yet. But even still, um, any respiratory complaint, that means anybody with a cough, anybody with a fever or shortness of breath, um, no matter how stable they are, you have to go in with personal protective equipment that's appropriate. At this point in time, the CDC recommends facial or surgical uh, masks if you are doing a low-risk visit, meaning just inquiring about the patient's symptoms and maybe listening to the heart. And in high-risk patient encounters, they are requiring that you have aerosolized protection, which is um, ideally uh, what we call PAPRs, which are powered air purifying respirators, or N95s with face masks, gloves, and gowns. So again, what it looks like for me, I have received over the past three weeks of working with this COVID in our in our state in Colorado, we were one of the first states to have kind of a cluster of cases. I've received two N95s. The first one I was able to um, receive as a hand-me-down as it didn't fit one of the other doctors. Um, and then the second one I, I received from um, one of the smaller hospitals I work at. So the shortage is absolutely completely real and terrifying. Just out of curiosity, this whole N95, what is the difference or what specifically does a quote-unquote N95 mask do that some other mask doesn't do? So the two different mask types you have, um, the typical surgical mask is appropriate for droplet precautions. The N95 mask with skipping all the engineering, <laughs> that's not my specialty, but what that covers you for is aerosolized protection. What we do know is that COVID, um, a small amount of the viral particles can be aerosolized. Droplet transmission is the primary cause of transmission, but aerosolized is also um, how it has been transmitting to, to people as well. So the difference is N95 masks get you for those aerosolized particles where the surgical masks will cover you for the droplet precautions. I have to confess, I think this is the first time I've heard the term aerosolized. So can you... Help differentiate for us, Sasha. You were talking about the virus being sp spread via droplets, or it can be spread 
by way of being aerosolized? Can you differentiate those things? So what will happen will be an infected person will sneeze or cough and the viral particulates will enter the air and become airborne. At that point in time, they're considered aerosolized. Okay. Whereas the droplets would be like, if I literally, if I literally sneeze directly on you, that would be the droplet form, I take it? Correct. Yeah. Okay. So the N95 masks are more effective at protecting against the virus in its aerosolized form. Correct. Got it. Okay. Well, Sasha, help us now understand better the extent of the shortage across the nation of this personal protective equipment. So I think some of the best numbers uh, we can look at in the in the country are uh, acquired from the U.S. Conference of Mayors. Um, they sat down together and um, surveyed, I think, 214 cities between March 20th and March 24th was the response deadline. Um, so what the mayors responded was 91.5% of the cities do not have adequate supply of face masks for their res- first responders and medical personnel, first responders being police, fire, and EMTs, as well as all the hospital workers, nurses, doctors, physician assistants, nurse practitioners. About 882 do not have an adequate, an adequate supply of personal protective equipment other than face masks to prese- protect these workers. So these guys don't have glown- gowns, they don't have face shields. And then 92.1 do not have adequate supply of test kits, a whole nother conversation. 85% do not have an adequate supply of ventilators for use by health facilities. And then 62.4 have not received emergency equipment or supplies from their state. And then the other thing that's um, really crazy to think about across the survey, the estimates that they were able to um, gather from these surveys were that 28.5 million face masks are needed um, and about 139,000 ventilators are needed. So what are some of the things that you're hearing about or seeing uh, in terms of folks attempting to shore up this shortage? So um, my my hospital or my doctor group, we've divided into committees and the committee I'm actually on is um, the Personal Protective uh, Equipment Committee, the PPE committee. We've reached out to our community. We reached out to people we know. We have a lot of people, family members, friends, um, community members willing to sew masks, um, people wanting to make face shields as best they can. Um, I think there's in fact a equipment drive right now going on, or I believe it was on the 24th, for all the local hospitals in the city I work at, um, which is just construction companies donating their N95. So we're seeing a lot of people in the community having to stay at home, but but feeling like they want to contribute some way or another. And it's also been really cool. Um, I mean, Sasha, you've been such a staple in kind of the outdoor industry for so many years, um, I, and you and Simon, um, your husband, who we've had on the Bikes and Big Ideas podcast, um, where he and I were maybe recently making fun of you, but just a little <laughs> bit, you know, you guys are so plugged in with the outdoor industry. I know that you feel the same as I do, that it's been really cool to see different outdoor companies stepping up 
um, and asking what they can do. And some of them, some that we'll be talking to next uh, in this you know, podcast episode about what exactly they're doing to help the cause. Yeah, I mean, that was um, really, really warming, I guess would be the best word to say it. Um, I think we're all glued to our phones looking for some good good news that's coming from all this bad news. And it was really exciting to see some of my friends uh, in companies like Kispo making facial masks, you know, fighting the same fight I'm fighting for here. It was really, it was heartfelt for sure. I know we have a big company, a big bike company in our local area who's looking into doing what they can to help provide masks and gowns. And so it's really cool. It's it's a, it's a hybrid of my career in this sense of healthcare and then also kind of my community in the outdoor realm of things coming together. So it was really cool. I, I'm so impressed with the outdoor community and I can't wait to see. There's so much innovation there and, and they've just been innovating things and goods to make people's time better in the outdoors. Um, it's really cool to see them switch gears and and move so swiftly to kind of cover us in healthcare, get those bases and needs covered for us. Well, hey, I'm going to let you get back to your family. Um, so sending big hugs to you and to Simon and to Rory, you know, you guys stay safe and you in particular as, uh, as you keep going to work and treating sick people and, uh, appreciate everything you do, Sasha, and, uh, really appreciate you helping us understand exactly the scope of the problem and, and exactly the, you know, what the problem is. So, uh, appreciate it all. Well, thanks, Jonathan. Thanks so much for checking in. Um, interesting to do a podcast, um, in, in medical vein instead of ski gear vein. I much prefer the latter, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. All right, Sasha. Well, hey, thanks again, and we'll talk to you very soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Jonathan. Okay, next we are going to hear from David Bilstrom, the CEO of Kitspo. Well, David, thanks for taking a few minutes here to kind of fill us in on what you and your team at Kitspo are currently doing. Let's just get started with where are you right now? Um, uh, I'm sitting right now in a quiet room in Old Fort, North Carolina, a room I used to share with uh, two other people, but I can't anymore because that's not a good practice. Uh-huh. We are ramping up and hiring people every day. So I was just upstairs on the production floor and there were five people I've never met before making masks and making face shields, which is a beautiful thing. Wow. So the first thing that jumps out at me is right now, all we're hearing about is how companies are having to lay off people. You're hiring. It's true. We're hiring experienced sewers and inexperienced assembly people. Hmm. But I'll also say among the inexperienced assembly people are marketing experts salespeople, hmm. uh, event coordinators, uh, because of course the unemployment has cut across all segments and all income levels. So we even have a couple of people who want to volunteer. So it's, um, it's a very special time. So help us understand exactly what is going on here. Kitspo, a company best known for making cycling apparel, uh, as you have just mentioned, you guys are now making personal protective equipment. Can you walk us through these steps a little bit? How, maybe just to get started, you came to this initial decision 
of, you know, I think we need to pivot here for a moment in time and even start to think about making personal protective equipment? Sure. Um, so, so what happened is that um, we pulled the fire alarm box, so to speak, on March 2nd, a Monday, because we could see from the news that things were pretty bad in China, but we were experiencing it directly. Uh, we do source a number of raw materials, zippers, um, certain fabrics, uh, elastic from Asia, and they weren't even answering the phone, let alone shipping. So we knew things uh, were bad in a, in, a, in a kind of firsthand way, separate from um, what you might see in the media. So we started practicing best precautions uh, here at Kitsbo because we knew that if we could keep our workforce healthy and safe, we could keep making clothes. And because we're primarily a digital brand and we sell something like 96% uh, over the internet, we could keep selling. So unlike those businesses that had retail locations that were considering at that time when they might have to close and have since had to close, and brands that buy from uh, overseas, we could make our own clothes and continue to have a business at Kitsbo. So we actually sailed into this with a kind of hubris that we would be able to stay open and keep making clothes and keep selling it. We did see revenues start to fall. I think they were down about 60%. And on a Thursday morning, our founder, uh, isolated out in California, forwarded us a essentially a do-it-yourself design of a face shield and said, you know, we have all the equipment to make these. What do you think? And I sent the design to some first responder friends here in Western North Carolina, and they said, make as many as fast as you can and, and send them uh, to us. So I knew there was going to be a demand. One of the peculiar things about our, our special situation is that Kitspo has a full design team here in Old Fort. So sleepy little Old Fort, we're the first new manufacturer in uh, something like a decade uh, or more. We moved here five months ago. We had a ribbon cutting ceremony 90 days ago for our new factory. So um, I'll speak more in a moment about the factory, but we also have this four person design team. So we have a full time um, sourcing and supply chain person. We have a product engineer, we have a technical designer, and we have a pattern uh, expert and fit expert. So these four people work together and have been for months now. So on Thursday, when we tossed them the design, by Friday morning, we had all the materials to make a thousand. And we had a technical specification. Peter, our design engineer, changed the design slightly to make it a little more manufacturable. And we got to work. In fact, we already had elastic. So we started repurposing stuff we already had. And on Saturday morning, about half of our sewers came in to assemble these face shields. No sewing involved, by the way. And the design team came in too, and they started working on a face mask. And I took a photo of this, and I posted it on my personal Facebook page. And I don't even like Facebook. <laughs> it's usually pictures of, of bicycles and my friends and uh, food I like to make. <laughs> so I post this picture of people doing these amazing things on Saturday. And as they say, it went viral. And I really didn't expect that. I was posting it for them and their families to see and for my family to see. And it went crazy. And we started getting orders essentially because of Facebook. And Sunday, we engaged a medical advisor 
um, a physician who had a lot of experience in apparel as well as in medicine, and we fine-tuned the design. And so you may have seen a picture of me wearing the mask. That was our first prototype and a much more effective, tight-fitting mask designed for uh, serious users was, was in production by Monday morning. So Tuesday morning, um, we had 46,000 units on order. So Tuesday is, you know, if you say that we got into the business on Saturday, Friday or Saturday, Tuesday is day three. By Thursday, we have orders for 100,000 a week for each of the shield and the mask. Wow. So we had a hasty board meeting and I recommended that we temporarily stop all of the production and still take orders for our products and ship them if we had them in stock. But we stopped making apparel and we make the shields and the masks and we invest to do that. And we hire more people. And um, the board said yes, which is a good thing because we'd already started doing it. <laughs> And uh, they were very supportive, in fact. So what we couldn't say then is the big, the the really the big, we were getting orders all over the United States, but the really big order was from the Dogwood Health Trust, which announced this weekend that um, they they had uh, entered into a collaboration with us. And they were doing a couple of really remarkable things. One of the things is they were buying as much as we could make but they were also planning to keep 90% of it here in Western North Carolina. They wanted, they were also buying from China, but they wanted to create a local source of PPE that this, uh, I think it's 19 counties they serve, this, this Western half of North Carolina would, would be, have a sustainable source of PPE if, for instance, shipments from China stopped again. Yep. The second thing they wanted to do is to the degree it made any financial sense, they wanted to create jobs. So we didn't lay anybody off and now we're hiring. And we also have consortium partners helping us make these and subcontractors. And I know in at least one case, they brought, they brought people back to work to work on the Kitsbo Shield. So I really appreciate that foresight to kind of think beyond the first step, which is, oh my gosh, we need PPE and start thinking it through, let's make it buy local, let's make it sustainable. I can tell you with some confidence that at least the face masks will always be part of the Kitsbo product line. I can't imagine them not. Wow. So that's the short version of, of how we got to where we are. Today is, uh, I think, day 11 of being in the PPE business. Hmm. And yeah, we're hiring and we're acquiring more equipment. We uh, just bought enough plastic to make 800,000 face shields. And we already had plastic make a hundred. So we'll be in the million face shield business here in the next two or three weeks. So you mentioned a little bit how, you know, you had a couple revisions um, and iterations to kind of get to, you know, meet the specs, get the criteria right for these face masks and face shields in terms of the actual production then of these things, once the design was dialed in, is the production sort of <laughs> simple? I mean, these are not complex products per se, but how has that been? Like the production itself easier than you suspected or a bit trickier than you had imagined? Well, there's sort of a, there's sort of a chicken and egg thing that's bouncing back and forth uh, at least daily, maybe even hourly. 
which is, do we have enough people to assemble the shields? And on one of the work shifts, we had to send them home early because we didn't have enough material. Mm-hmm. Now we've got the material. Do we have enough people? So um, this is a classic problem of manufacturing, uh, your supply chain versus your your workforce. And you're right. It's a simple design. But we also, it has to be exactly right. Yep. So we we are looking for subcontractors to help us with this load. But at the same time, we have to be careful. So everyone in the facility now is wearing a face mask. I'm not wearing one right now because I'm in a closed room talking to you. But uh, the moment I walk outside of my door, I'll have a face mask on for the rest of the day. And so does everybody else. And people are washing their hands and we're taking their temperature. And we have a specific procedure for how those face masks, face shield materials pass through the hands of the workers before they're put into a plastic bag and sealed so that when it is when it arrives in the hands of the healthcare provider or the first responder, it in fact does not have virus on it from us. So while the procedure of assembling them is dead simple, the process needs to be thoughtful. And we're doing all of that in our building right now in part to control that. Over time, you know, we make apparel, not plastic face shields. So that part of it will surely evolve. And we're looking at all kinds of possibilities for how to do that. So David, you told us about the decision process, how that went from manufacturing apparel to going ahead and making personal protective equipment. But can you talk to us a bit about, okay, you make that decision. Now how we go about to actually producing this stuff. Talk to us a bit about those dynamics. Well, yeah, I, I, there, is, there is this big story, which is people keep asking me, how did you pivot so fast from a Thursday morning prototype to production on Monday morning? And the answer is that it's actually Kitspo's business now. So we're seven years old. And for the first several years, other people made our clothes. Then the founder wanted to use a time-tested methodology called the Toyota Way to make clothes. And he knew that nobody else was doing that. And we have since found there's about 10 companies in the U.S. doing that. But if we go back four years ago, a small manufacturing operation was stood up in Kitspo's original home in Petaluma, California, and three sewers made clothes. So if you bought a Kitspo item in 2017 or 2018, about 15% of the, of the items we sold were made in Petaluma, the Toyota way. And the Toyota way fundamentally is make one perfect car, or in our case, one perfect shirt, then make another, then make another. The way the apparel industry works worldwide is you make 300 left sleeves, then 300 right sleeves, then you start assembling the shirt. That's why if you see a photo and you can Google images and see apparel factory, they will all be sitting. They'll all be at long rows. The place will be fairly dirty and cluttered. And they're making things in a batch Henry Ford style. So that, that assembly line, it is more efficient than a single person making a custom tailored suit, which is why our clothes are so affordable. But there are a bunch of disadvantages to the batch system. And so 
uh, Xander Nosler, our founder, it was lonely in those early years. Nobody else was doing it. And uh, maybe a lot of people didn't appreciate the advantages. But when I joined Kitspo two years ago as a part-time CEO and eventually full-time, I could see right away the tremendous advantages, starting with the fact that you get to choose how many styles and products you make and in what colors yourself. And the rest of the apparel industry, really, I assume you're wearing clothes right now, and I can tell you your clothes were not made in the U.S. because 97% of all the clothes sold in the U.S. are not made in the U.S. So they were made somewhere in a factory like the ones you can see with Google Images. And somebody, some brand, had to decide to order a minimum of 300 and preferably more like 3,000 of each color 12 months in advance. So if you unpack that a little bit, the problem with that is it means that you're basically Las Vegas guessing at what will sell 12 months from now down to the color. And if blue doesn't sell, then you're going to mark it down. In fact, I challenge most people to tell me the last time they paid list price for a piece of clothing. We've all been trained, at least in America, to buy after it's been marked down and on sale. And that's because those brands are desperately trying to figure out who will buy how many of the blue ones. But it's a double whammy. Let's say the red ones actually do sell and they fly off the shelves. Sorry, minimum six, if not nine month wait to get more red ones. So even when you have a winner, you can't double down. And if you have a loser, you mark it down. So the incredible, the incredible statistic that people frankly don't believe is that 30% of all the finished goods apparel in the world end up in a landfill brand new. They were marked down. They didn't sell. At some point, it's too expensive to ship them anywhere, and they go into the landfill. Some believe the numbers are even higher. And this is the kind of thing that many independent researchers have verified. So Kitspa didn't want to be part of that. So we took founder's idea, and we made a commitment about a year ago to go from 15% of clothes we make ourselves to 95%. And we also looked for a place with more affordable workforce than California frankly, with a workforce. We were very, it was very difficult to find sewers in the San Francisco Bay Area. So we chose Western North Carolina after an exhaustive search. In fact, it wasn't our first choice. And we moved to Old Fort, as I said, five months ago. And we built a brand new factory. We have 90 sewing machines. They're almost all brand new. They're the best money can buy. They're all on rolling casters and they're all stand-up stations because that's part of the Toyota way. And they all plug into an electrical system that's a grid in the ceiling so they can be reconfigured. Because fundamentally, the idea is is we might make pants on Monday and Tuesday and shirts on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And that nine to 12 month delay when we have a winner, no problem at Kitspo. As long as we can get the raw material, we just make more of the blue ones that are selling and less of the red ones that aren't. We went from product concept to a new product in four weeks, four times in the last year. And that's That's news because the fashion industry and the apparel industry are forced to operate on these long timelines with annual plans. And we live in a world where things change faster than annual. So I want you to visualize for a moment a brand new factory with 90 sewing machines, a computerized cutter, a computerized laser cutter, new staff that have all been trained to expect things to constantly change. And that's what we had that Thursday morning. So in fact, by Tuesday, we'd reconfigured our floor. If I sent you a picture of it right now, you would see rows and rows of sewing machines shoved off to the side because we don't need those for making masks. And we actually had to buy a few new machines that, um, that we needed. 
and we rolled them all into configuration so that we can be making masks simultaneously. I think we're up to nine stations, nine stations of three sewing machines each and two shifts. So yeah, it was kind of amazing that we made the pivot, but in another way, it's just part of the Kitsbo business strategy to be nimble and to follow the Toyota way. And they are in fact, right this moment, making one perfect mask and then making another. They don't make it in batch. Well, David, um, I want to let you get back to your work, but I very much appreciate you coming on and letting us know what you folks are doing at Kitspo, how you're doing it at Kitspo. And uh, I also just want to say thank you. You know, I'm connected with a lot of different people in my life in the medical profession, and they are all emphasizing the shortage of personal protective equipment right now. And so the fact that you and your team are doing what you're doing uh, on behalf of all of them and and all of us, um, I just want to say thank you. Well, um, you're welcome. Uh, We'll also say there are many, many organizations like Kitspo that are swinging into gear to help alleviate this. And in fact, we have partners who are helping us, especially with those plastic shields, because we're more about sewing than cutting plastic. So um, Industry 9 and um, a little company called OE are both consortium partners with us on the shields. And the spirit of cooperation and sense of community is really something to behold. David, thank you. Um, I look forward to talking to you again sometime down the line under, let's say, less special circumstances, but have appreciated this conversation and, and uh, yeah, look forward to a longer conversation that where we're going to get to touch on a whole lot of perhaps other less immediate uh, and pressing topics than our topic of conversation today. So uh, I look forward to that already. I look forward to it. Okay. Well, thank you. You take care. All right. You too. Stay safe. And now we're going to hear from Clint Spiegel, the founder and CEO of Industry 9, about what i9 is doing and how they've teamed up with Kitspo and several other companies. Well, Clint, thank you for taking some time to fill us in on exactly what you and your team are doing at Industry 9 these days. Let me just ask, um, exactly where are you right now? Uh, in Asheville, North Carolina, mm-hmm. at our headquarters. Great. Well, we mostly are just taking this time to get a better sense of what companies, what a few of the outdoor companies um, like Industry 9 are currently doing. So let's just focus on how did you come about to make the decision to even start considering whether you would make a move to create some personal protective equipment? Well, uh, you know, a few weeks ago, it was becoming clear that um, there was likely going to be shortages on the protective equipment for the healthcare workers. And obviously, the other thing that was very clear is, is there was likely a shortage on ventilators. So our initial thought process, and, and it's just because of our specialties in manufacturing, we thought we would we'd be able to help with ventilators um, the most, and you know we have almost a hundred CNC machines, hmm. and um, so we thought you know that we could offer uh, that machining capacity uh, would be the best thing we could offer. So anyway, we spent some time 
searching, going among our contacts, uh, making calls to the uh, major ventilator manufacturers and really didn't have much luck. So what we decided to do was make a post on our social media uh, to you know, see what kind of help we could get. You know, maybe maybe some of our customers in the past had connections or had ideas of where we could help. And so we did that and, you know, got a you know tremendous response, all kinds of ideas, all kinds of people connecting us with um, others. And though we did find a lot of connections or contact points that we've attempted to make through the ventilator manufacturing routes. Uh, really nothing significant has happened to that yet. Although I suspect that there's a lot of companies like the auto companies that are get, getting geared up and they have to go through their first steps. And so we hope to still be involved in that. But then the uh, the other thing that we quickly found um, were, were a few companies in the area that were trying to get going with protective equipment. So um, Kitsbo being one of them. So uh, we contacted Kitsbo and found out that they had contracts to make face shields and face masks, but they had a tremendous uh, production ramp up problem, uh, both in terms of getting raw materials, uh, processes, uh, tooling, fixtures, automation, you name it. So we felt that working with them, we could get a lot more done than, you know, if we we tried to um, start making any of the protective equipment on our own. And it's certainly not our specialty in manufacturing, obviously, with kits being experienced in the textile world and sewing themselves, they had a little bit more experience um, with maybe some ways to get started. So at any rate, um, they got going on face masks. And then face shields were running into uh, a lot of problems, uh, first of all, raw materials. So we jumped in and helped them um, source some new raw materials, uh, look at some alternate alternatives and some alternate designs. And since then, um, we've been working with them to ramp up production. So, and that's basically making tools, fixturing, uh, you know, I have my uh, entire engineering group working on problems and and things to solve it. So we're building. Um, we we were able to get the production of the face shield plastic, the clear plastic itself, uh, going pretty quick. So we've kind of worked through that bottleneck. We're building, you know, still equipment to speed that production. Uh, one of our one of our earlier companies, we were actually in the medical packaging business. So we made machines that made medical packages. So we've got a fair amount of experience. Uh, well, I would actually say quite a bit of experience with uh, custom machinery, automation, and stuff like that. So we've, we've primarily been working to help them significantly speed their production. Yeah, and I actually spoke with David Billstrom this morning, uh, the CEO of Kitspo. So he touched on this uh, this kind of partnership that you guys have going here, and and uh, it sounds like a very effective and appropriate collaboration uh, at the moment. Right, we've been able to pull a, a couple other companies in from the area and work with them as well. Uh, Uwe Products and uh, Watershed, and both of those are outdoor related companies and. Um, 
uh, particularly UWE has a lot of experience with people producing uh, leather products and sewn products and stuff like that. So they've been a tremendous amount of help as well. And then Watershed um, used their cutting equipment to help us cut out shields to ramp that up as well. So we've actually gotten quite a bit of cooperation. And then all around the country, you know, other manufacturers uh, in the outdoor world and engineers have also offered their help. So, um, you know, we build a good network. I think we can do a lot more, but, you know, making good headway so far. Man, I have to say, like of all of the difficult uh, and bad stories surrounding the COVID-19 outbreak, I've got to say, I think this is one of the sort of most uplifting things I've heard and seen, um, especially speaking from somebody in the outdoor industry, the ramp up and how quickly some of these different companies like your own have worked to step in who, that are partnering with other with other companies. Um, this is, I think, a, a pretty cool thing we're seeing and uh, and really making an impact and a difference here. Well, we certainly hope so. It's, it's definitely nice to be able to be contributing hmm. rather than, you know, watching from the sidelines. Hmm. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll hope this will make a big difference. Clint, just uh, for people who might not know, when you're asked, okay, Industry 9, what do you guys do? What do you make? What is your normal answer to that question? Um, well, bicycle components. Uh, we've been primarily known for our high-end wheels, um, you know, whether it's mountain or road or gravel. Um, and then, you know, also um, our hubs and, and being reliable, high-engagement hubs of, are what we're most known for. But we make uh, stems and um, a, a multi-tool and, uh, you know, working on other products as far as that is for sure. But, um, you know, we're most known for wheels and hubs. Yeah. And it's funny when I first saw that you guys were looking to help in terms of, you know, making uh, personal protective equipment, my first thought was, wow, that's really strange, right? Like a hub manufacturer, a wheel manufacturer is jumping in here. But then I remembered a bit about your background, and I thought, this is actually maybe the least surprising thing ever. You're, you just have a history of working in all different types of product design and product production, right? Um, this is, this is if, anybody, if anybody had a wheelhouse here or was ready to pivot into something like this, you might be that guy. Well, I mean, I certainly have some background to back it up. I mean, one of the things Industry 9 is called Industry 9 is because it's the ninth company that we've either started or been partners with. And two of the other companies were in industrial robotics and then, like I said, the medical packaging machinery. So that gave us some, you know, some decent uh, background on all that. But, you know, also my father started a uh, contract manufacturing business machining um, when I was basically the same year I was born. I worked with them, you know, since I was about five years old. And, um, you know, so I'm 51 now. So I guess I've got 40, nearly 46 <laughs> years of, of experience seeing different kind of parts being made in different industries and seeing how different people do different things. And, um, uh, you know, and, and a lot of the work we've done have been high production. So, you know, yeah, I've got I've got more to offer than a lot of people do. That's for sure. Um, even though, you know, this is definitely 
making uh, face shields is is different than anything we've done in the past. There's you know there's still parallels to speed everything up and and make it better. How are you thinking about or currently handling the issue of where these face shields are going? Well, that's all kits though. So they have the the contracts, and like I said, you know we felt that we would do a lot more good by helping them speed their production. So in all honesty, they are, they can answer that question a lot better than I can, but um, I believe how their contracts are being worked and and being funded is by a local trust for our regional hospital system. And um, so a decent amount of our production is being earmarked for the local hospitals, but, you know, we have requests, multiple requests every day from all over the country. And so the idea is to be able to ramp up production uh, more and more and and satisfy as many needs as we possibly can. Yep. Yeah. And David Bilstrom actually talked about that really well, how it's working. First and foremost, let's make sure in the Asheville, North Carolina area that the medical workers are getting the PPE products that they need. Um, So I guess I wasn't totally sure. You just answered my question. So a good portion of what you're doing right now, Kitspo is handling that. But shortly here, it sounds like you guys would be able to start perhaps sending PPE to other parts of the country. Well, we certainly hope, you know, but again, all of it will be going through Kitspo and the faster we can produce more and more, the more that becomes possible and, you know, exactly what we can do in terms of sending out um, and at what time, I'm not, I'm not fully aware, but, yep. uh, but you know, our goal is to uh, produce more than anybody is asking around the area. So, um, you know, so we can do that. Yep. Well, Clint, I want to let you get back to uh, overseeing and managing all of this, um, but I really appreciate you taking a few minutes to fill us in on on what you guys are doing there in North Carolina. We're really appreciative of the work that you guys are doing. And uh, yeah, from everybody here at Blister, uh, please tell your team that we're proud of you guys and uh, we're rooting for you guys and, and uh, hope that... Uh, your efforts will uh, help make a big difference in, um, you know, as we're trying to get a handle on this situation. So very grateful and, and thanks for what you're doing. Yeah, I appreciate those words and um, we're giving it, a, giving it our all. So hopefully mm-hmm. it'll be, it'll be, it'll be good. All right, Clint. Well, listen, I'm going to let you go. Uh, take care, stay safe down there and uh, we'll be keeping tabs on what you're doing. And, and I look forward to hopefully having a conversation someday down the line when we get to talk more about wheels and hubs and, and, and fun stuff like that. That sounds like a great plan. <laughs> well, mm-hmm. thank you. All right, Clint. Okay. Take care. Finally, we're going to hear from Jeff Thompson, who founded Shaggy's Copper Country Skis with his father and brother in northern Michigan. Well, Jeff, how are you today and where are you today? Today, I, I, I'm doing well. We're healthy here um, and really scatterbrained right now because we are trying to locate all of our materials, keep all of our suppliers bringing new materials in for face shields. 
um, and just running around like crazy trying to get everything up and uh, into production. Um, I am currently in uh, Boyne City at our small ski factory. So let's talk a little bit about the history of Shaggy's. Um, just in case there's some folks who don't know, you and your brother and father perhaps started building some skis around 2005 and then sort of officially launched Shaggy's Copper Country Skis in 2008. Did I get that right? Yeah, you're, you're dead on with that. We started building skis just as a hobby in 2005. Um, in 2008, we formed the company. Um, and then 2011, we really we moved out of uh, you know working in a 1,600 square foot barn into a um, commercial space. So you told us just a little bit about this um, a second ago, but help us understand exactly what it is you guys are trying to to do right now and what you're building. Yeah. So currently we are we transitioned all of our um, capacity of making skis to manufacturing disposable face shields for healthcare workers. So what they are, they're a um, four mil. So it's basically like that just over the thickness of a piece of uh, copy paper. It's a little plastic shield with a strip of foam attached to it and elastic band that goes around their head. So it covers over a face mask and like safety glasses that a doctor or, you know, a nurse or any uh, first responder would wear um, treating, you know, a patient potentially having coronavirus. I mean, this is kind of a industry standard thing. The call is for these to be sort of single use, I guess, just to, again, try to prevent viruses being kind of passed around or, or you don't want something being stuck on the front of the shield and being worn all day. Does that seem about right to you? Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm, I won't say I'm the, uh, the most nuanced person when it comes to, you know, their exact application. But yeah, the, the idea is as soon as they become soiled, they get thrown away. You know, I think patient to patient right now, there are, you know, so many, you know, millions of healthcare workers that are trying to treat everyone. And right now people are resorting to wiping these things off and it's just really not, you know, it's not sanitary to be using. So, you know, we essentially just put a post on our, on our Facebook page to, you know, locally said, Hey, we, this is the capacity of, you know, things that we can make tools that we have. And we said, you know, is there anyone that needs anything? Nobody needs skis right now. We can move over to something else. Turns out the, uh, the CEO of our local hospital saw it and said, told the supply chain team to get in touch with us who put us in touch with our whole hospital network. And they said, yeah, get these things made for us. I mean, so how has that switchover been simpler than you would have imagined? More complicated? You know, the, the product is extremely simple compared to making a pair of skis. Um, <laughs> yeah. The biggest issue is, so this has all come to fruition in a week. So generally stuff like this, you know, your, your lead times are a month or more um, for getting the special anti-fog plastic, getting foam cut to size, just getting everything, you know, things, supply chain, uh, you know, it's, it's stress right now or, or, you know, nationally, and we're trying to get materials in. So that really had to be accelerated. And we said, we really need three materials Three main things plus hot glue. It's not a real complicated product, um, but the volumes are incredible that they need. So we actually, my brother has another shop that started this with us. He's no longer um, actively working in, in Shaggy's, but he's got a uh, another manufacturing shop down the road. So we both have the ability, CNC equipment, to cut out things. And we said, hey, there's a huge need for this. 
So we've kind of just been, you know, banking on each other and trying to figure out what's the fastest way. But it's been a pretty quick setup. It's just finding that supply of materials. And we're currently, like we have plastic for 48,000 shields, but we're waiting on foam. You know, we had three, you know, foam for 3,000 shields. And that's a limiting factor. And tomorrow, I mean, we have more coming on Monday, but we literally had to go and just get raw materials, not cut to size. And we have a body coming from, you know, four hours away in a U-Haul with more foam to deliver it tomorrow morning for us to continue making these. And I should say, by the way, I'm talking to you. It is currently Friday afternoon. It is 3.30 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. And so you guys are talking about you're rolling back in Saturday morning to keep this uh, manufacturing going. Yep. Yeah. It's uh, So we're in Eastern time. So it's 535 right now. Yeah. Um, we'll be well have people in tomorrow at uh, eight o'clock. I've got a newborn. So I'm going to try yep. to not come in until 10 o'clock. Um, yeah, we're, we're going at it as hard as we can. So we know that people you know, need stuff. I'd much rather be at home with my baby. But, you know, our, our whole idea with this is be part of the solution. Don't sit back. If we have the ability to help, we need to. And that's just what, you know, what, what people should do. You know, nobody said, hey, you guys should do this. We said, we just want to be part of a solution so that everybody can get back to normal. And if this helps, that's all we want to do. Well, man, that is fantastic. And it's exactly the right attitude and uh, you are to be commended for that. And it's not only an attitude, it's a concrete action. And, um, you know, I just spoke to uh, our reviewer and one of my very good friends, Sasha, um, who is a physician's assistant in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And she has been adamant how massive of an issue this is. Um, getting protective equipment to healthcare workers. So lest anybody think this is some cute little thing that's being done on the side, um, we've got firsthand testimony uh, from somebody who's actually kind of in the field right now. Um, this is pretty mission critical. So really appreciate you and your your squad um, doing this right now. Well, yeah, I, <laughs> we appreciate the, uh, you know, the recognition, but you know, that's not what we're not what we're in it for. Like I said, just trying to uh, help out, you know, and it's, you're right. It's an absolute mission critical thing. There's people that are cutting two liter pop bottles apart and strapping them around their head just to try to protect themselves. It's, it's dire. It's not complicated. It's not sexy. You know, I'd much rather be making skis, you know, and so everyone could go out and slide down the hill and have some fun, put a smile on their face. But this is what gets us back to that. So that's all that matters. You've been building skis, I guess, since 2005, have you ever had a reason before to pivot to something like this? No, not, uh, nothing, nothing to this scale, you know, 2008, which, you know, the, uh, financial meltdown, that's what really got my dad involved with shaggies. My parents, had a small construction company, my brother and I were, were doing this and he said, Oh, well, you know, I'm, essentially, you know, he's not working anymore. There's no, no houses being built. So that, you know, that kicked him into this, but we've not had anything like this since. The masks you're making, will these go just to hospitals and institutions near you in Boyne City that is in need of these? Or where are all these masks that you guys are producing? Where are these headed? Yeah, so currently our, our main objective is 
hit our, our, our the local need first, meet that local need. Um, we have a couple hospital systems, you know, there's probably four hospitals within 50 miles of us. So it's not like there's a ton. Um, but it's like, we have an order from our, the parent company of our, of our local, one of our local hospitals for 24,000 of them. So they're going all over the Midwest in Michigan. Um, we have orders from, you know, a lot of downstate Michigan, you know, Metro Detroit area, um, Grand Rapids, that sort of thing. We've had, you know, contacts from all over the country asking for them. We're pretty much at our capacity. We're bringing in material. We currently have material for 48,000 shields in-house. We're bringing in another 124,000 ish to do that, you know, and there's so many people who have reached out to, you know, to help out with this. I wasn't expecting that. I got a, an email the other day from uh, Luke at Moment Skis saying, hey, we have capacity. What can we do? You know, so today I hopped on the phone and said, you know, unfortunately, it's not like we can ship them products to be assembled. Assembly is our biggest issue. They said, here's the suppliers for the material. Here's the, um, the drawings for, you know, the specs for it. If you guys can treat local hospitals, that's awesome. You know, we've had, I had a customer of ours say, hey, I run, you know, flights just, you know, in a, in a little Cessna, he delivers things, mission critical things around the state said, I'll send them out for free. Like, what do you need me to do? Um, so it's, you know, the whole community is really rallying around everything. Well, that's awesome. And it's frankly, is somebody just thinking about the ski industry for right now. That's awesome to hear that, you know, Luke at moment has been reaching out and that you guys are all kind of, um, you know, seeing what you guys can do to be helping the cause right now, that makes me uh, pretty proud of um, what you guys are up to. So yeah, you know, Jeff, I appreciate you uh, taking a time at the end of your day to to talk to me about this. I really applaud what you and your team is doing here. You know, I really want to let you get home to your newborn before you need to get back <laughs> to the factory in the morning. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate you. Yeah having me on, um, you know, I'd like to, you know, give a shout out to all of our guys who are, who are helping out and just having a, you know, making a difference. Everyone would much rather be with their family, you know, than working extra, you know, overtime and putting everything in and doing crazy piecemeal work compared to building custom skis. I really appreciate uh, everyone and the kind words of support. So we'll get through it. Yeah, man. Well, hey, seriously, tell everybody at Shaggy's that uh, that we're giving a shout out to them here at Blister and we're thinking of you guys. And uh, yeah, stay safe, stay healthy. And thanks again for what you're doing right now. Yeah, thanks. You too. Same thing. And uh, hopefully we'll see you on the snow soon. Exactly. Exactly, man. All right. You take care. Well, that's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas. I want to say thanks to Sasha Anastas for providing her perspective as a health worker who is very much on the front lines of this pandemic. We're thinking of you, Sasha, and we are very much hoping that you stay safe. I also want to thank everyone at Kitspo and at Industry 9 and at Shaggy's Skis for the work you all are doing. We are inspired by your actions and you are making us very proud to be part of this outdoor community. I also want to offer my heartfelt thanks to all of the companies out there around the world that are making their own significant contributions to help the cause. And finally, I sincerely hope that each of us is doing our own part to comply with executive orders and best practices to help flatten this curve. Each of us, every single one of us, 
has our own role to play here, so let's do it well. Finally, I want to say thanks to Jared Farley for producing this episode, and thanks to you for listening. Until next time, please take good care out there. Please share this episode with anyone who you think might be inspired by it, and we will talk to you again next week.